Welcome to Leadership Backstage, a series of unique conversations with leaders about their role today and tomorrow. Hi, my name is Tricia Schroeder-Hohenwald. I am an executive coach, an organizational consultant, and the owner of DSH International HR. Another podcast about leadership, seriously? Yes, but somehow different. Over the years, I have been involved in lots of discussions about leadership. What it is, what it is not, what it will be, what it should be, and so on. But from my perspective, far too little open discussions have taken place with leaders about this subject. This is what I want to change here. I want to give leaders a voice, listen to what they say, and see what we can all learn from each other. And also, I have worked with many great leaders in the confidential space of our coaching sessions. But this time, it's not a conversation behind closed doors. The leaders here have accepted to share their thoughts openly, and I hope you will enjoy this backstage view on leadership. about leadership. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your uh, current responsibilities. Yeah, Just thanks a lot. Yeah. Happy to do so. Um, my name is Markus, Markus Scharper. Uh, I'm the CIO of Energy, a big energy company in Europe. And uh, I, as a CIO, I'm responsible for all IT services uh, throughout the continent, um, from Hungary to uh, UK uh, for the time being. Um, but things are changing, <laughs> actually. And uh, overall, uh, in the IT departments of the different countries, we have 1,500 people. Um, in the core IT, let's say the, the, the core standard services, uh, it's around four or 500-ish. Um, and uh, yeah, we offer services from classical hardware-oriented um, platform services, infrastructure, but also application services, consultancy, and build services, run services, so the whole the whole portfolio. Okay, thank you, thank you very much for this introduction. I think it's best uh, if you if you say it yourself. So we we wanted to talk about leadership today, and mm-hmm. you have a you have a huge uh, leadership responsibility in this company, and there's something big happening at the moment in the company, and uh, people have heard of this Eon deal, and there's a, something that is going to happen. Can you tell us which impact it has on your leadership role? leadership role in in uncertainty times so what does it mean for you yeah um, referring to the aeon deal this is uh, of course not the only times of uncertainty right we had uh, in our long history of 120 years ish mm. uh, uh, a lot of times when uh, the business models were changing and uh, the way we we operate were changing um, in the 60s 70s uh, we had the oil crisis we had the nuclear coming up uh, and and things like that mm. um, and potentially it's maybe the first time in the perception of the people that something something so big is changing that the whole industry might might kind of change itself massively mm-hmm. um, i remember when i had uh, talks with my people a lot of them were almost thinking of, of choosing a employer like choosing a wife or you know a husband um, you choose it once for life almost, uh, you, at least you try to. Uh, so they were coming into RWE at that time, 10, 15 years ago, um, to have the one employer of their life and then go on uh, for 30, 40 years uh, until um, mm. the, the pension uh, yes. comes, comes yes. up. 
Now, um, this is obviously something um, that is changing. Um, I think the speed of change has changed. It's faster mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, latest with the liberalization, um, this, this happened uh, where the, let's say, um, almost a generation contract between the energy providers, the municipalities or the state and the customers um, this was a this was a balance of power if you like um, there was no strong market in that case so that mm -hmm. could mean that uh, potentially customers were paying a little bit too much but on the other hand the um, the turnover or the, the the profits were going back to the municipalities it means to the people so from that perspective this this kind of um, balance of power was uh, was stopped uh, some years ago through political um, changes uh, through the uh, liberalization but also regular uh, regulation and uh, this set in force a, a development which is still ongoing, um, which now culminates in the um, consolidation of the whole market. Um, and mm. the deal that we're seeing right now uh, is um, one step of that. We also see that uh, the departure from, uh, from uh, between RWE and Energy is one of these uh, changes and also the um, N-Power split uh, and the potential merge with SSE is one of these splits. So we still more of that mm -hmm. and that means also that uh, we as leaders or I'm as a leader have to acknowledge that in a world where many people still believe this is a marriage forever, right? Uh, and this can't hold true. So people are in, in real big doubts now. But, but uh, what you're talking about is a, is a big picture leadership and of yeah. course you need to take the context and the politics and the market movements into consideration but how how do you adjust your leadership or do you need to adjust your leadership to the communication to your people in these times of uncertainty or you say oh, it's just business as usual and yeah that's life and that's okay so how, how do you deal with this anxiety that is going through through the organization yeah there's always a uh you know, two hearts or two souls uh, beating in my chest. Uh, one is the, let's say, rational soul, the, the, the pure, uh, also the macro level that says, okay, this is a development which um, is just happening. So live with it, yeah, think about it and uh, make, make the best strategy and the best, the most flexible uh, way to deal with it. This is one side, this is the, the, the thinking side, um, but then there's a feeling side uh, as well. And uh, I, I do feel that many people uh, must be extremely nervous and um, yeah, insecure about their future uh, because their working model is not like they, they uh, had it uh, when they joined the company. It's, it's not like that anymore. So um, if you like, the basis is drawn away from them um, and this, this uh, releases a lot of emotions and um, I think we have to deal with these emotions on a personal and individual level uh, but also in general. Um, th there's one thing to talk about every individual, uh, what were your plans when you joined, how does it feel right now, you know, what can we do to make you more secure, because um, rationally many people understand that their services they provide will also be required in five to ten years. There is no immediate need for whatever job cuts or things like that. Of course work will change, but it always did. Um, but then there's the feeling side of it, the feeling like almost being betrayed, uh, right? When, when, when 20 years ago I, I went into a marriage and all of a sudden I realized my partner, my company, is all of a sudden not as, I, you know, as it was when, when I joined them or as they were mm. you know, pretending to be uh, when I joined them. It feels like um, it, it doesn't work anymore. Mm. And this is something um, that, is, that is difficult to manage also for me. Mm. Um, and the best way 
I, I, I can deal with it is just to acknowledge that and to see, I understand where you are, I understand where you're coming from, um, which, is, which is of course hard for me as well because I do come from a world of change. Uh, mm. I, as a consultant in the past, um, I was triggering change. I like change. Um, and the reason why I wanted to be a manager is to be able to really implement the change to the last mm. bit and to really see it happening. So, um, and uh, I need to kind of emancipate myself from my own feelings. Like, okay, okay fine. Um, although I might be anxious or even happy about this change, um, I need to realize that many of, of our people are not. Um, and let's let's do the right things for them to give them platforms and ways to express themselves. Um, and sometimes just expressing the, the fear and the anxiety helps. But sometimes you really need to do things, uh, like to, to change the job a little bit to make sure this is a job that is for sure not going away in the next six months or 12 mm -hmm. months. Or to give uh, certain security around skill upskilling and things like that to, to say, Look, if you feel insecure, let's let's make sure that you have something in your skill set that guarantees you at least a job. Whether the job will be with Energy or some other company, we can't really foresee 100%, but we can do everything right now so that you have all the assets in your hands um, that, that you will find something in case in doubt. Mm -hmm. You have been working as a leader in, also in this organization for a few years now. When did you start exactly? I started with uh, RWE Supply yes. and Trading uh, yes. in 2010, so yeah. like eight yeah. years ago, and yeah. since two years uh, I'm now the CIO yes. of yeah. RWE slash Energy. Yeah. So, um, um, so eight years of uh, leadership in this energy uh, context, and you have seen quite a few uh, transformations. I can remember uh, the transformation and the, the merger with Npower. Uh, I have been working for this company for a while. Mm -hmm. So you've seen quite a lot and you have implemented quite a lot. Is there some aspects of your leadership activities of the last years that you are very proud of? I think the leadership um, challenge is always there. Let's put it that way. I, I, I wouldn't say that the, the leadership challenge is higher in times of change. Um, because also in times of certainty or when, when things run, run stable, it's important to, to not stop thinking, stop getting better, etc. So actually, um, I think where I'm, where I'm proud of is that in times, for example, in, at our West where there were stable times, um, to inject a certain amount of change so that people were not, you know, were still hungry and, and trying to, to become better day by day. Um, and this is something we did uh, in, a, in, a, in a program uh, which had a lot of uh, facets, so to speak. It has, it has, of course, some performance management components like cost and productivity and quality and things like that that you can measure. But it also had a, a strong community aspect, a strong aspect of feeling a family, of being in a family almost. Um, and knowing in which direction we're moving, although there's change, we're moving in a direction, right? And this future picture, um, the summit or uh, you know the, the the journey and the sailing through a nice island or whatever you call that uh, that is something um, that creates positive energy and i think i think as a as a leadership person that's what you have to do this to, to try whatever the situation is to create this positive energy um, and this is particularly difficult i think when when times are stable now the times are not stable <laughs> times are changing quite a lot um, and the energy is there but we need to kind of now um, deflect it a little bit to become positive. Mm 
Yeah, there, there's, there's um, emotions around fear. Will I lose my job or will it become massively different? Uh, yeah, will it change from the way I thought it would be? Um, and uh, to some extent, the answer is yes. But then the next question needs to be, and how can I, how can I influence it? How can I bring my, myself, my personality into this, uh, this change? And what will be the final picture? And um, you know, when, when I come to people uh, who have doubts about the Aeon deal, um, I keep telling them, you know, think about, you know, if it happens, which is not clear yet, but if it happens, we'll be really a huge company with a huge potential of changing the energy, energy system of Europe massively to the better for our, for our children. And that's when people start to think twice, right? They, they think not only about the, themselves, but also about the next generation of people, of, of, their, of their children and so on. And this is, this is where we can gain maybe positive traction also, not only you know, rationally, but also emotionally. Mm. People don't, don't see you, they just hear your voice. But I, I, I see in your eyes like, like a light and some, some kind of energy around this, the, the, the change and whether it, you're talking about the changes in the past or the change today. What is it that drives you what, uh, in, in your role? So what, what, where does this passion come from? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that's one element, as I said before, um, about my children. And uh, how to say, I want to leave them a better place, a better world than, than I found. Um, and we have a great chance right now to do so um, as we have the decarbonization, as we're moving out of certain you know, fossil elements, which are just there once, and if you burn it, they're gone. Um, and now we're moving into a world where we where we um, either generate um, energy in a, in a green way or where we help distribute and sell it and, and bring services around it um, in the right way, which is equally important, I would say. Uh, to just have energy without distribution network and without the services on top doesn't, doesn't mean anything. So th this is, this is uh, really one part of my passion um, where, um, you know, my kids basically um, look at me and say, you know, my dad is bringing something positive. And then, of course, there's a, there's a rational side that says, um, okay, this, um, this consolidation needs to happen now. Yeah, um, yeah. From a market dynamics perspective, uh, if we just move on like this, we'd be either taken over by mm. whoever. Um, and, you know, as long as we have it in our own hands, um, at least in Europe, we should, we should try to, you know, create a future for ourselves um, uh, with our, our own people. Um, and... For the customers at the end of the day, uh, I think um, there will be rather positive effects. Uh, yeah, the service quality will become better, um, prices might stay or even you know, get slightly lower. Um, so from that perspective, I see a lot of chances that this brings also from a, let's say, more rational market-oriented side of things. Mm -hmm. Where did you learn leadership? So nobody's learned leadership as a, as a baby so you, you you started at some point to um to to become a leader to learn about leadership do you have any role model or any values that you you think this is my understanding of leadership yeah it's, it's interesting this question is uh, is a nice one because it explains that that you can't plan leadership right you, you can't plan a leadership journey like that um, and in hindsight, I can I can tell you where some of the you know things yes. happened. Yes, please. Uh, uh, like one of the early uh, stages uh, in my life when I was at school, um, and uh, I was in actually I was doing a lot of sports, uh, and I was asked whether I can become a trainer for for um, the sports club uh, I was in for the young for the younger people, and I was like 15, 16, um, and then a group of eight to twelve year olds. Uh, 
boys and girls uh, who uh, were, were led by me um, just becoming better. Um, this was very early uh, instances of where you found, uh, yes, I can have a positive impact on people um, because they, they like what they're doing, they like to see that they are getting better, they like you as a trainer uh, because of that. Um, and of course, throughout the rest of, of my career, I've uh, never been shying away from uh, taking over responsibility due to that first positive experience. Um, of course, as a, as a consultant, you learn a lot about rational behavior and, and analytics and, and all that stuff. And I was starting with Accenture, being more a technical um, consultant and programmer and designer and things like that. So very, you know, hardcore techie. Um, and then moving over to McKinsey, still consultancy, but a completely different type of consultancy. Uh, in each of these uh, stages, uh, of course, you get certain tasks, certain responsibilities, and you uh, react to that. And uh, the funny thing is how different, although both are American companies, how different both cultures are. And of course, leadership comes in through the perception of culture. What is it doing to you? For example, at Accenture, um, we have a very, uh, there was a very, let's say, policy-oriented uh, culture, very clear methodologies you had to stick to, you know, step by step is explained. Uh, when I had to uh, do a travel from wherever, Frankfurt to Prague, I had to fill out three forms and three managers had to uh, approve it, etc., etc. Um, but at the same time, uh, in a large project, um, when you have all these roles of team leads, etc., etc., and you don't have the people to do so, you as a young person can get uh, responsibility quite early on. So after three months, uh, after university, I had my first five people team uh, to, to create um, a um, a piece of software that, that was rolled out to the market right afterwards. So uh, there was a, um, immense uh, trust uh, in, in myself as a person. Um, but of course, I was trusting the team because I had no other choice. <laughs> and, what did and you learn there about leadership? Uh, I think it's a lot about trust and how to work together, how to collaborate closely. Um, and as soon as, as you have a certain trust level and you can rely on each other, um, you, you see a team being so much more fun, so much more productive at the same time. Um, yeah, and so much like a family almost, uh, right? I had two families, I one at home and one at work. Mm. And uh, I was happy in both directions. And yeah, whenever I traveled to the, to the other family, I was like, yeah, let's, let's now move on to the private family and let's have some nice private evening. But next morning, I was also happy to move to my work family to move on in my deliverables or in our deliverables and uh, to get a better software um, out to the market. Um, and then there was the McKinsey shock. When I moved over to McKinsey, completely different uh, mindset. Um, all the policies were all of a sudden not, not important anymore. Of course, you have to stick to rules and regulations and laws and so on. That's clear. Um, but uh, when you want to travel from Frankfurt to Prague um, and you ask your manager, he asks you back, why you ask me? Just go. If you need to go there, go there. Um, it's, and and this, this very strong values orientation in the sense that if it's helpful for our client, just do it. Right? Don't, don't even ask me or think about it, just do it. Do what is right. Um, and this is, of course, again, a completely different leadership style that you need to apply. And also that, you know, when, when I work with my teams um, at McKinsey at that time, um, this values orientation was something that I was trying to really live myself and give them all the freedom and, and, and all the possibilities that they need. Which value can you name? Can you name a few values which are important to you, or you learned there? Yeah, one is uh, two maybe that that uh, come a little bit as a surprise. Uh, one uh, is business value first. 
normally everyone would say, well, we are subscribing all to that. But actually we don't. In fact, uh, usually um, we, have, we have, of course, the view of we want to create business value. But um, large corporations pose a lot of restrictions and policies uh, and, and compliance uh, rules, etc. in front of that as hurdles. And we are not necessarily very good in removing them um, structurally. Yeah, because we, are, we, we need to make sure that we have systems that work. And the systematic approach is one that hinders leadership to a large extent and values orientation. Um, so if you really put the business value first, you would try to remove obstacles and hurdles that are not helpful in that perspective without, of course, crossing the bridge to becoming non-compliant or uh, you know, illegal. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the portion of leadership, which is the, the risk-taking part. You have to take a certain risk to allow your, your teams uh, to act on a stage where they can really act and not in a narrow corridor where they can only move straight forward, um, but actually maybe the sideways move is what you, what you need right now. This is one that is, that is, that is particularly lived and interpreted at McKinsey. I, I just, um, I would, I'm very interested in the second one, but I, I would like to ask you something about the first one. Sure. The, the, you, you're very much talking from a consulting perspective, so the McKinsey as you're talking about, but how do you live this in a company like Energy? Yeah, as I, as I said, um, we of course also try to improve, improve business uh, value. Right. Um, the difficulty here, however, uh, in energy uh, is that we do have a lot of regulations, right? Um, internal regulations that make sure that the system works, that we that we don't do anything um, uh, illegal. And every single of these regulations is understandable and very well thought through, etc. But if you take the whole of it, many people feel very restricted in it. So, and I think what a good leader does is. Um, taking a stance to, to give us a certain shape. Say, yeah, there are a couple of things that are utterly important and you have to stick to them, but there are others where we can be a little bit pragmatic. Can you give us an example of what you did as a leader at Energy to, to change that? Um, yeah, for example, when it comes to um, how teams actually try to develop um, their own you know, positive uh, working and collaboration, um, we have um, allowed uh, teams to come together with other teams um, and uh, create, let's say, stages. Uh, be it, we call it guilds sometimes or, or uh, collaboration platforms or whatever you call it. And where they can just spend a little bit of money uh, to, to do so. Um, this is normally it would require quite you know, cumbersome uh, process to get that done. Uh, but we said, why don't we reserve just a couple of, you know, a bit of money uh, in each uh, department's uh, budget so that you can just do it whenever you feel this is this is required okay yeah and uh, of course I'm, I'm trying to do this also in an official way um, so we're trying to to um, create a way to have a leaner workers council process that is a little bit more planable um, than usual uh, we have uh, uh, discussed certain uh, environmental factors of security and data protection so that people can build on a certain basis and they don't have to always you know, ask the basic questions mm. again and again and again. Um, but as long as you are staying on that foundation, you can just move on. So all, all things that, that um, at least from the perception of the people, removes these restrictions to some extent. Yeah? Because we, we, we kind of draw them either into some different layer, which they don't perceive anymore, they don't need to mm. know about, 
or also as leaders sometimes we take a little bit of risk. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the second one. The second one is, is one where uh, actually everyone is raising um, uh, her or his eyebrow. Um, the McKinsey term is this uh, obligation to dissent. Um, and we, we change it a little bit here to say obligation to speak up. The obligation to dissent is something which is quite important in, uh, in, in a consultancy um, environment because uh, of course also there are hierarchies. There's the, the, the client who wants to do something, there's the partner who wants something. And you as a normal consultant, as an analyst or so, um, have difficulties to sometimes get your point across. Now, however, the consultants are sitting on the real facts. They have done the interviews. They are looking at the numbers. So they actually know better sometimes. And it's, it's it very important that whenever there's a, a proposal or a direction or a decision uh, being made that goes into the wrong direction from the perspective of every single person of the team, that this person of the team speaks up and says, no, sorry, this is wrong. Here are the facts or here's my opinion or here's my concern that I have. Right? And uh, this is something that you find very seldomly in, let's say, large uh, organizations that are classically hierarchically organized, uh, like we were used to be at least until we were energy. I think the energy um, culture development has, has changed that to some extent. But as many people are, are used to that for 15, 20 years, um, in, in many people's minds, this is still a fact, a reality, right? Uh, we, might, we might say we are uh, flat and we are open, we are honest and, and, and all these kind of things. And to some extent we have become better, but still a lot of, a lot of things are, is there as well. So what we're doing practically uh, in our obligation to speak up is to actually ask the people um, on the ground for their opinion, for their real opinion. And uh, often enough, I don't get this opinion out of them because they still believe, oh, this is a CIO. If I tell them something wrong, then I have a problem, my boss has a problem, my boss's bosses have a problem or whatsoever. And it takes some time to realize, hmm, it's not that case. Yeah, I can tell this guy something and he does something constructive with it and I, there's no backfire to anyone here. So, uh, and that, that is usually the moment when people ease up and when, when we really have good conversations um, on the ground, when we do like Jemba walks uh, on the ground, uh, I, I see within you know, a couple of seconds, is this person already open to me <laughs> or not? And of yeah. course, if the, if the point is or not, uh, let's try to, what, what, what is required to open up? And sometimes I tell stories out of my own life that are funny or uh, things like that, so that people see, well, this is also just a human. You have um, been now working in this organization, Cheers. Mm -hmm and you have um, seen many different aspects of this organization. What, is, what are the aspects of these organizations that you really like, that you really appreciate, where you think, yes, this is something I found here I didn't find anywhere else? Um, well, apart from being able to change the energy system of the future, which is, I think, kind of a, an overarching theme, what makes energy so specific? Um, I think it's to some extent the achievements of the last couple of years um, where we have uh, started to, to become much more innovative, uh, much more open, agile if you like. Um, yeah, we also use a lot of uh, experiments here and there, maybe a little bit less in the last couple of months uh, due to the changes that were happening, but uh, there's, a, there's a general spirit that has changed. changed. And uh, this spirit about um, about innovation, experiments, um, agility, uh, 
tearing borders down uh, between departments um, is something I like very much and I, and I love to explore that and love to bring uh, departments together uh, who were not collaborating well with each other uh, over years potentially. Uh, and then to see how all of a sudden there, there is a flow uh, between the people happening and they, they like their work. Um, yeah, before it was more an admin task and they had to sit, sit their hours uh, on a chair and do something halfway meaningful. And all of a sudden they, they feel more of a purpose and more of a, how to say, of, of, of a sense of belonging um, to, to, a, to a broader thing. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, well, the... Um, the DNA of this of this company is still very um, engineering driven, and um, being uh, an engineer by myself or an informatics uh, person uh, myself, I feel like that that fits very well also uh, to my way of thinking. Uh, and I do believe that we have great engineers here and great engineering capabilities, um, and this is an asset that we need to use and uh, again transform it into something positive for the people and for the world, for for the environment. Yeah. What would, what would people say about you if I, if I went with a microphone through the organization saying, okay, tell, tell me about Michael Sharper. What do you think would, would come out of this? Well, they probably would uh, see that um, I'm trying to, to build this big picture view and communicate it. Where do we want to go to uh, with our productivity increase? But how should the IT and the overall company look like when, when we do certain things, when we create platforms and we create people development journeys and you know, things like that? Um, they would probably see kind of a visionary uh, person uh, that potentially, hopefully, helps them understand where their whole journey is going to. Um, they would also uh, likely uh, see a person who is quite analytical, um, fact-driven, uh, metric-driven or numbers-driven. Um, they would potentially less see the, let's say, emotional side in me because it doesn't come across uh, so easily and so often. Uh, um, potentially also a little bit less uh, is he caring really about the details uh, on the you know on the floor, uh, the nitty gritty stuff and so on, um, which um, is is more more difficult to convey. Of course, you have to go there and do it, which I do, but of course not every time with everybody. So I assume um, the, um, the the perception is is a bit more um, yeah visionary and analytical. Uh, and the other side is uh, something which I also need to bring more into my own leadership, uh, how to say, configuration. <laughs> what, what, how, how would you like to do that? Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things is, as, as we uh, talked earlier about the um, times of ambiguity right now, um, is to talk to individuals, just talk to the people and, um, you know, help them understand where we're going to, which is more a rational thing, but also then um, be a kind of, yeah, be, be the rock in the water, right? Uh, to uh, the, the, the shoulder you can you can lean on uh, to just you know express fears, anger, um, emotional the emotional side of work, um, and um, in many cases I I do understand what, what this is where this is coming from, and just you know seeing someone who understands is is a positive means. So that's something. Um, I'm also doing, but of course it takes quite a lot of time, so it's, it's always a big question mm. of leadership again. Mm. How do you, um, you know, as, uh, bring your time to certain types of tasks? And um, this is uh, always a challenge, but at the moment it's a nice challenge because I feel um, that 
not only I, also my leadership team and, and the teams below can really do a big positive uh, impact. And from that perspective, it's, it's time well spent. Mm -hmm. where, where would you say um, those last years have changed you? And one thing is um, every culture triggers some change in me as well. I talked about the early years of Accenture and McKinsey and what, what that has done. Uh, now being a, a manager at, at our West, um, obviously being end-to-end -end responsible for things and not a consultant uh, makes you think much more about implementation and, and how things get, are getting done. Um, but there was an organization which was relatively ring-fenced and clearly specified and stable. Um, at least when I came, it was stable since a couple of years. It is still stable. Uh, so it's relatively um, well-defined scope, if you like. Um, now with a with move uh, into RWE slash energy, um, that, that world has, has enriched, of course, by factor 10 or so. Um, where we're talking about completely different types of businesses, um, a different uh, geographic location, and a different culture. And uh, the culture is, uh, is interesting. Our West still has roughly one company culture, whereas I would say Energy, or when I came, RWE had not a company culture, but it was rather a, rather a country-oriented culture. So there were the German engineering, that was happening here around Essen A40, uh, A40. Um, this is the area here uh, where we are sitting. Um, one culture. But if you go to the east, completely different cultures again. Uh, in Prague, in Budapest, um, in Kosice, uh, in, 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 and in Warsaw. Um, and each of them being slightly different. Uh, so uh, we don't have the one culture and there's not the one way to lead uh, in this culture. But uh, you know, I learned uh, that I sometimes need to micro-adapt uh, to the um, individual circumstances of certain teams um, or, or even individuals, uh, which is, of course, uh, a nice challenge. I mean, it's a challenge <laughs> because adapting uh, your leadership style is something which is not easy. But it's a nice challenge because I learn something every time. I learn something about the environment. I learn something about how the people are working together. Um, and quite often there are positive surprises uh, where I say, wow, this is, this is cool what they're doing here. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Nice that you brought it in. But of course, I also see, wow, why are, why are you getting restricted yourself so much? Why don't you just do this, just do that? Um, at one small incident, maybe if I uh, may, may say so, um, it was here in Germany. Um, when I, I did a Jamba walk um, of one of the teams who were just finishing their daily stand-up and they had a big board uh, where they had all their tasks and the KPIs and so on. They were you know, running through that board and what tasks are going, what are not so going so well, etc. And uh, I was asking one of the persons, why do you have so many tasks on the board? They had like 30 tasks for a team of eight people or so. And I said, that's a lot. They're all open. They're all uh, you know, in progress. How do you deal with that? And said, well, we don't really, you know, it's so difficult to get anything done end to end. And I said, why? Why is that? Then, yeah, we have a contract with a supplier. And according to that contract, uh, we can only approach issues um, using our manager. I said, okay, good. And what does the manager do? Well, the manager talks to his manager, still energy. And that guy talks to the manager on the supplier side. And then that top manager on the supplier side talks to the middle manager on the supplier side. 
and so on and so forth. So before it comes to the point where an operational issue comes, you know, arrives at the operational person on the other side, easily two weeks are over, sometimes three. And I ask a question, um, which still is in my head, and why don't you talk directly to the person? Do you know him? Yes, I know him. Why don't you talk directly to the person? Am I allowed to do that? That was the question back to me that, that showed me how, how difficult sometimes it must be for people really on the ground to just do their job. Right? This person felt that he was not allowed, restricted in that perspective. How did you feel when you heard that? Um, yeah, of, of course, uh, there, there are two feelings at the same time. The rational side uh, of me says, fuck, how can that be? <laughs> right? Come on, guy, get your act together and do it. On the other side, I said, oh my God, what did we miss here? Why, why, why couldn't we you know, um, clarify that, of course, people can talk to each other. And as long as they're not breaching any contract, they are allowed to do everything that, that supports our customers. Yeah, and uh, so there, there was a deep emotional feeling uh, at the same time, um, of, yeah, yeah, feeling sympathy uh, for, the, for the special situation of that person. Yeah. Right? And these, these are the moments when, when I realize, wow, I mean, this person needs help or this team maybe needs help by, you know, restructuring the way they're working and, and just allowing them a little bit more. Mm. Other teams, again, have completely different challenges. And, you know, whenever I do a Gemma work, I learn, you know, something like that every time. And it's like every time you need to decide on the spot what is now the right yeah, how, what does it do to you, to me personally? And what is then the right reaction so that, you know, I can help the people? I, I hear you're very, very passionate about, about all the, the things you have, you have learned in this organization and, and discovered in this organization after years of working in a consulting environment, going into a completely different culture. But just in a nutshell, in one, one or two sentences, how did it change you? My emotional and rational leadership instrumentarium <laughs> has become larger. Yeah. So it was maybe a piano, um, but now there's, there are more instruments. Mm. There's a drum, but there's also a harp, there's mm. a flute. Mm. Um, I'm still learning yeah. in some of these instruments, but um, I know that sometimes it just makes more sense to play a different instrument, not always the same. Mm. Even if you can play different melodies on the piano, it's a piano, right? Mm. And uh, piano does, sometimes doesn't fit <laughs> mm. into certain environments. What is the one thing that you still need to learn? Um, I think to, to show more uh, empathy and to, to bring this emotional side, which is sometimes sleeping in me, uh, more out to the people so that they see I'm, I'm with them. Mm. And I'd like to take the last minutes of our conversation to think in the future. Nobody knows the future, but we have a glance of what is coming to us, yeah? The digital transformation, the artificial intelligence, there's a lot of things going on and you are in IT, you're responsible for IT, so talk to us about the future and <laughs> from a human perspective. Yeah. yeah, but of course I need to I need to mention that IT is doing a lot of change as it always was, uh, think about digitization, but also yeah. think about methodology changes that were coming from technology background like uh, this whole agile um, scrum agile at scale you know spotify model and things like that um, that's all coming from from technology firms this is a wave that will flow over us um, and we won't be able to kind of to stop it 
So um, in the future, um, we as humans <laughs> need to continue to, to adopt to the change, to use the change also, to, to channel it uh, in the way um, we need it. Uh, to, to, to we, we deserve a human change, right? It's, it's not that the change should do too much to us, but we should use it uh, for bringing, bringing our company forward, bringing our culture forward. Uh, and for example, making better collaboration uh, tools, using them. Agile has, has of course, is, is changing the way you operate, is taking away certainty about your role, because all of a sudden you might not have a role anymore, you're just a team member, but you have a purpose. So, you know, cherish that new um, paradigm of saying, okay, my role is maybe gone, that, that hurts, <sighs> okay, but there's now a purpose. That's interesting, let's play with it, let's, let's start to use it, and how can I purposefully act and sometimes it might be in according to your old role but sometimes you might test new things and try out new things and what we need to kind of live also is to to show that we as leaders are trying things out but we need to help also our people um, make a let's say a safe um, environment where they can try things out um, and and be able to yeah use the use the change um, as an opportunity rather than a threat. Um, you, were, you were talking about uh, collaborative work, um, about agility and different, different roles that people will have in the future. Part of these changes in roles are also completely self-organized organizations without leaders. Yeah. Some, some companies are trying this and um, there are different approaches to do this and different methodologies. Can you imagine energy or whatever organization will be uh, from starting next year uh, without leaders in your role, without CIO, just like people organizing themselves? Mm -hmm. yeah, yes, I can. Um, although I think that there still needs to be leadership on earth. Uh, no matter how you cut your company or how you structure it, even if you turn the pyramid upside down, uh, you still need leadership. You still what need. For? You still need uh, a view where you want to go as a company, uh, because you, you know if, if forty thousand or whatever number is, uh, people um, all you know start to to do their own own self organization. It might work within one team, but think about hundreds of teams that still need to somehow be coordinated or move into a certain certain direction. But what will change massively is the way of leadership. Right. In the past, uh, when we come from the, let's say, traditional Tayloristic approach, um, the main capability of a leader was to understand the individual pieces and how they plug together. It's a, it's a quite mechanistical view of the world. Um, and you need to make sure that this plugging together always works. Actually, there was not so much about human and emotions and all that stuff in pure Taylorism, if you like. Uh, now, going to a, an, an agile world and the, the pyramid turns around and we have self-organizing teams, um, you as a leader need to do two things. One is to give the teams the freedom they need to build the stages on which they can dance. Um, and this takes, uh, is, is, is one of the things is you need to do risk-taking because you, you, you give away some of your control of your powers to the team. And they can do wrong with it, of course, but they can do great right with it as well. Um, so give them the right stage, um, but also stage needs to have boundaries, right? So you say from here to here, that's your stage, you can dance. If you start to move around or outside, either me or someone else uh, will uh, kind of bring you back to that, uh, to that stage. So that, that is one thing. The other one is, again, if you have like hundreds of different departments which are moving somewhere, um, you need to give them a clear direction. 
If you ask me, currently, um, I think energy uh, is doesn't have that clear direction in the sense that everyone would be able to interpret it for his or her own work and team. Um, so we need to somehow still you know, build the bridge between, yes, we want to have a green, positive uh, you know, environment, and yes, we as a company want to uh, become even more successful and uh, make our stakeholders and shareholders happy. Um, but how to translate that down? Yeah, it needs to be um, uh, not a massive epic of 150 pages that tells everyone what to do, but a common purpose that is um, inter interpretable for everyone in the sense that this is the stage I'm on and I know what, what I can do. So what, I, what I'm hearing is it, you're not there yet as an organization. I think none of the organizations I know is, is really there, okay. <laughs> right? We're, I think we're on a good path, on a good journey. Um, we're, we're moving towards more values orientation. We're moving towards more um, purpose orientation. Uh, we're making experiments with self-organizing teams and with cross-functional teams um, and with you know these kind of sprints and uh, mm -hmm. agile logic and, and all these kind of things. And we're seeing where it works very well. And this is one of the stages. It's the agile stage, if you like. It has certain boundaries. Yes, there's a product owner, there's a scrum master, etc., etc. So it's not kind of free-floating. Um, but we also see that sometimes it doesn't make much sense. Sometimes you just have you know, repetitive tasks that just need to get done. Uh, it doesn't make sense to uh, reprioritize them every day um, because you know, they just need to get done. So we also see the boundaries on which agile will work and boundaries in which more, a kind of more classical, maybe lean approach will work better. Where does the robot, uh, where, where do the robots fit in? Oh, they, they take away the boring tasks from us. I see that quite positively. I know that quite a few people have, have other feelings as well. Uh, that might take away my role from me. But if that role changes anyway as part of the agile transformation, why not uh, use the robots to, to push away the administrational task, the boring task, and, and make that part of the robot work? And I can then concentrate on more of the creative part, the, on the human part. I mean, not everyone is creative maybe, but you, know, uh, you, you might collaborate better. You might want to work with others, etc. So that is something um, that um, is a big chance for us and um, I'm trying to motivate everyone to see the chances in these kind of robotics um, approaches. Thank you very much, Marcus, for Thank this you. very interesting talk. Thank you. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you. Thanks for listening. That was another edition of Leadership Backstage. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and if you want to know more about me or have a conversation with me, you can get in touch via dsh-internationalhr.com.